It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy snow day to those who celebrate. It's going to be a lot of it out there today as uh, as we do in uh, January, February, March, pretty much all the months here um, this time of year. But I uh, hope you guys are being safe and uh, bundled up inside, outside, wherever you are listening to a nice podcast right now. Good show coming up. Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a little bit to talk Vikings, uh, film review from that, you know, Terrible uh, 41-17 loss to the Packers the other day, but some things to learn from that game, even in defeat. Keith Rashad joins me, too, for some vaiku, some poetry. The only way to wash the taste of that game away is with some poetry, <clears throat> I've always found. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Some Timberwolves thoughts as well. First, though, what did I miss? The story that had everybody captivated on uh, Monday night. Bills uh, Bills defensive back safety Demar Hamlin suffers a cardiac arrest making a tackle in the game Monday night against Cincinnati. Scary, uh, beyond scary scene on the field. He was trying to make a tackle on T. Higgins. T. Higgins, uh, from what we can understand right now, is T. Higgins' helmet goes into Hamlin's chest and triggers a chain reaction that causes Hamlin to collapse just a couple seconds later, go into cardiac arrest. Sounds like he's you know in critical condition right now, but that his heartbeat was restored. He's sedated right now. Um, the game was suspended, and no idea exactly what will happen from here at this point. But, you know, just reading some you know medical experts on Twitter, which is dangerous when, when nobody has all the facts, um, you can read some optimistic things about what about how this might play out, but we're not going to jump the gun on that. We're going to just hope that he is okay and uh, and that this that this plays out in a way that uh, you know a scary situation becomes uh, becomes a uh, you know a a, a happy ending um, for, for sure. One one thing I wanted to mention on on this whole story is we go we, there's something that happens where. People say, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't play the game, my friend Tom Lineman likes to joke with me. Like, if you didn't play the game, you don't understand. And we, it's a, it's a teasing thing, right? Like, sports writers, by and large, people in the sports media, a lot of us didn't play the game at least at the highest level, right? Like, I played, you know, I played sports up, you know, through high school, um, but obviously, I didn't play at an elite level, so I don't quite understand some of what it feels like to be a player. But that doesn't mean I can't analyze a game, watch a game, understand a game. That said. I think last night was one of those situations where it the people you needed to listen to t- last night were the people who are players who played the game to understand what it must have felt like to be on the field to witness what that was to to know what it's like to play week, week in and week out putting your body on the line that's not something I can fully feel or comprehend and so when you have idiots like Skip Bayless you know, getting roasted rightfully on Twitter for saying, why didn't they resume the game after 10 minutes? Um, Skip doesn't understand. He didn't play the game at the highest level. He can't be in their shoes. Listen to a lot of the players who were talking last night. Listen, listen to all the people on Twitter. They know. They were the they were the voices of reason in this case. They were the ones saying, you can't keep playing. This is some, you know, this is not, um, you know, this is not someone who broke a leg in a game, which is horrific horrific in and of itself, but you know someone is going to survive that. This was a life or death situation. We don't still know how this is going to play out. We can hope 
We can see some optimistic signs at this point, but we don't know. How are you supposed to play a football game after you witness that? I don't think I could do that. I don't think players should be expected to do that, even if this was a game of a certain magnitude towards the end of the season with playoff implications. All of that does not matter when you see someone's humanity on the field, you know, in a life or death situation. So listen to the players in this case. In this specific instance, having played the game, this this carries a lot of value. You need to know what it's like to experience that. Those are the people you need to listen to. And above all else, of course, hoping for the best for DeMar Hamlin. Feels strange talking regular sports after that, after what we saw last night that was all going on while I was watching The Timberwolves um, beat the Nuggets 124-111. But we do need to talk about that because that's been a pretty big subject. Royce and I tackled it quite a bit. You know, the Woeful Wolves had lost six in a row, just seemed lost in the woods, um, you know, so far, you know, for much of this season and specifically during that losing streak and especially during their most recent loss, a home loss to the Woeful Pistons, um, missing a lot of key players in, uh, in Monday's game, D'Angelo Russell, a late scratch with an illness. I'm a little suspicious of that, wondering if that was more of a uh, a, uh, a veteran's benching, uh, polite benching, instead of, a, uh, instead of an actual illness. He also had Naz Reed and Bryn Forbes show up late on the injury report and not play. Already missing Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Jordan McLaughlin, um, Torian Prince, a lot of guys out of the lineup, but still... Wolves find a way to get it done, beat the Nuggets, the best team in the West. Nuggets were coming off a back-to-back, but still, I thought the Wolves played a very smart game, played a very energetic game. They they battled on the boards. They, you know, they worked for second chances. They worked to limit second chances. They moved the ball. Um, and I thought Chris Finch had an interesting quote post-game about Jaden McDaniels, and that's something I'm going to be watching for going forward. Finch said, he's a really skilled player, can do a lot of different things, can cut crash make a spot three play off the catch but if the ball doesn't move these things don't come to life for him it's kind of a barometer for our offensive ball movement really like that because that's something you can watch going forward is Jaden McDaniels getting involved in the game because he's not the kind of guy you're probably going to drop a lot of plays for he's the kind of guy that's going to get opportunities as a result of good ball movement he was 9 of 10 21 points in this game he was doing a lot of different things in this game and that was a good sign for the wolves because when he is involved in the offense that means a they have you know another person who can score but b that means they're playing the right way as they did against denver so a good sign for them good sign for Jaden mcdaniel something to watch going forward now we got to see if the wolves can stack a few of these efforts on top of each other and we got to see how these how these rotations shake out what you know I don't think they can hide hide guys forever I don't think they can say you know D'Angelo Russell is out indefinitely with an illness how do you work him back in or how do you work him back in how does this play out are you better off in certain cases with you know a scrambling scrappier lineup I don't know that's that's a question for Chris Finch to sort out but I think he's got some latitude now to do more things with the lineup now that he's seen what happened in this game. So a lot of interesting things to watch going forward, but a good first step for the Wolves as they try to pull themselves out of a nearly half-season-long funk. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. 
Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, back at it with film review time. Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune, joins me as he typically does on Tuesdays. Took a week off last week because of I was off. Nothing from Andrew on on that regard. But uh, Andrew, the 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 film will not be pretty to dissect for the Vikings when they get into their deep film study. You've already watched it back. Forty one seventeen lost to Green Bay. That was forty one three. At uh, at one point in that game, if I'm not mistaken, so that was a, you know, another another terribly lopsided game. It was the third time in the last seven weeks that they've been down by at least 33 points, which you would not imagine you would typically say about a 12 and 14. But here we are, and there's a lot to a lot to get into from that game. Um, where do you even begin to dissect? You know whether it's shutting down Justin Jefferson almost entirely, whether it's the offensive line and the struggles they had. Where where do you begin to break this one down? Yeah, just watching it back, it, it stood out to me about how the Packers changed so drastically from Week One. Um, not just how they played, but in terms of just execution and, and performance, but in terms of how they were schemed up, how coaches were putting them in much different positions than what the Vikings were used to. After the game, after Justin Jefferson has one catch for fifteen yards. Matt LaFleur said um, he credited his coaching staff and said that it was an easy fix to have Alexander cover him um, and and really be physical with, with Jefferson and said, I believe the direct quote was, I don't care who you are as a wide receiver. That's difficult to deal with that kind of aggressive press coverage at the line of scrimmage. Um, and LaFleur said, especially if you don't see it on tape, I don't think the Vikings were expecting quite that from green Bay. It was such a wholesale change from what you're used to seeing from Joe Barry and this Packers defense. And we've seen it across the NFL. Like the Chargers did this to the Dolphins on, on a primetime game where uh, they just decided, hey, we're not going to play this off coverage that uh, Brandon Staley also plays from the Vic Fangio tree with the Chargers. We're just going to play man-to-man and get up in your face. It's the kind of whole, wholesale change we have not seen from the Vikings defense at times when they've needed to make these kinds of changes. So you got to credit the Packers coaching staff. And frankly, I think the Packers are just a bad matchup for the Vikings. The Packers have figured some things out defensively. They're playing well. That's 10 straight games with at least one takeaway for them. And then offensively, they could really attack the perimeter of this Vikings defense, which is where the Vikings defense is softest. So if I'm the Vikings, I I do not want to see this team again. And I don't care if it's at U.S. Bank Stadium and the footing is good, even though the footing was so poor at Lambeau Field. Um, I, I think they're just a bad matchup for Minnesota. Now, so if a team's going to do that and they're going to press up and then play press man, I mean, you should be able to identify that fairly soon. And then what are then the counter moves that they either weren't able to make or didn't attempt to make in this game to get Jefferson going or to get other people going? They did make them. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily flawless, don't get me wrong, but they did make some moves where by the second quarter, Justin Jefferson's lined up in the backfield and he's motioning out into the slot and Quay Walker, a rookie linebacker for Green Bay, has to all of a sudden be man-to-man on Justin Jefferson. That is the play where Justin Jefferson slipped on the route, the ball gets tipped at the line of scrimmage, and I think that was Adrian Amos's interception on that play. That's not on Kirk Cousins. That's on Justin Jefferson slipping and falling. That's on the interior line giving up pressure and letting the defensive line get the hands up. That's just a confluence of events that Kevin O'Connell can call the right play and make the adjustment then the execution wasn't there. 
And it was consistent themes. It was the slipping. It was the interior pressure of that offensive line, which is just decimated now. Um, there were a lot of things that were wrong with this offense that has had such hot streaks throughout this season that you think they should be able to achieve this all the time. But when a defense wants to be aggressive and, and you know just bully them around, they've been susceptible to that. And, and you saw that with the Packers front. They have a lot of big guys up there. Kenny Clark, Jerron Reed. Uh, Preston Smith is a big guy for an edge defender. They moved those guys around and isolated Ed Ingram and isolated Chris Reed, the third string center right. in that game. The, Vi- the Vikings had no chance. And even when Kirk did have protection, um, there was one play where TJ Hawkinson bobbled a pass into a pick. There was another play where TJ just got it dropped. He had it ripped out of his hands by Quay Walker. Um, Hawkinson had a bad game. Jefferson just didn't have much of a chance in the game plan for a variety of reasons. Um, but, and that's how you stop this offense. Now we've seen that though, at various points this year, right? When you can have a really good, big physical corner. We saw that when he got slowed down against the Eagles earlier in this year, we've seen other teams try it with various success. Now it seems like he had been Jefferson had been adapting to that and be able to play through anything and still put up his numbers. But this was obviously the exception. How, how worrying should that be? I mean, not specifically for a Packers matchup in the playoffs, because that's, unlikely I think that they would face the Packers unless and I think it would probably would unless something weird happens this weekend and the 49ers lose to the clearly tanking Cardinals who want draft position um, the Vikings will be the three seed and probably wouldn't have a chance to play Green Bay if Green Bay gets in until the NFC title game um, if if that but but a team like Green Bay or a team that's going to play Jefferson physically like that how much of a concern is that you know once they do get to the postseason I think it's especially a concern if you can pair it with the pass rush. If if you have a team like San Francisco or Dallas that can really get after, even Philly can can get after them when Brandon Graham and them are playing really well. Um, they they have those when those teams have those kind of matchup wins up front, that really kind of just cuts into the time that they need for Jefferson to sell that extra fake to get open on the post corner route to do his double and triple moves down the field to get open. Um, Jefferson beat the kind of coverage against the the Packers that he saw frequently against Green Bay. He beat it against the Giants for a 17-yard touchdown. And it was the one that Kevin O'Connell called like one of the best routes I've seen him run because it was meant to take away the route he was running, but he's just so good he beat it. Well, there were two things there. There were one, it was inside. He he didn't slip. So the the turf was great. Uh, he had great footwork. He didn't have to worry about that. And then two, the protection was there because the Giants for all of their talent, still have just a rookie edge defender who's their best, and then a couple good interior defenders who the Vikings could plan around. The Packers are very blitz-heavy defense, and what they did was they never blitzed. They just showed it to kind of isolate guys and then backed off into coverage, and Kirk was like, well, now I don't have the numbers that I need to get rid of this ball. I need to hold it too long, and then his best plays were when he took off to run for like the 20-yard scramble, the 18-yard scramble. Um, the, the Packers toyed with cousins and just kind of bought those extra seconds without having to blitz because of how bad that protection was. So Jefferson can beat these physical corners, but he needs time when you're pressing him in this offensive line, the way it's constituted. And especially if Brian O'Neill doesn't come back is not built to give him time. Yeah. And I wanted to transition to that before I get into a bigger picture question at the end, but yeah, the offensive line has been, you know, I, I think it's been, Better at times this year, especially when they have been fully healthy. I think, you know, the first half of this season when they were enjoying pretty good health across the board, you know, before 
Garrett Bradbury got hurt before Christian Derrissaw was having concussion problems. I mean, I think the line was was stabilized to a certain degree, but now you've seen, and I don't think Derrissaw has been quite as sharp in the second half of the year. Bradbury's been out for a few games now, and now the Brian O'Neill thing could be the real danger point, depending on how long he's out. Like, you know, the depth has been tested already, and if you stress it anymore, I, I got some real questions about where they're going and going this year. Yeah, and the guy who replaced Brian O'Neill is the fourth tackle, Oli Udo. He was the starting right guard last year, demoted to the fourth tackle this year because their main backup tackle, Blake Brandle's already on IR with a knee injury. You're right, Brian O'Neill down with a calf injury. We don't know yet uh, at this point how long he's going to be out, but Dalvin Tomlinson missed four games with a calf injury earlier this season. So even if it's considered minor or just a calf strain, this could still sideline or impact him for weeks, especially as a 300-pound man. So that's a concern, even if he's on the field, because it's not going to be 100%. And then, as you said, Derisaw, I thought he had his worst game of the season. And he's actually had some bad games against the Packers. His two worst games as a rookie were against Green Bay. Okay. And this one was one of his worst this year. Um, I don't know what it is, um, but when he gets matched up against those guys, it has been a problem for him. And at times, it almost looked like Derisaw was trying to help the interior. Like, he'd stick a hand out toward Cleveland's guy as if they were kind of shifting the line that way, but it wasn't a full protection shift. And then he'd get caught trying to catch a speed rush from his guy on the outside. He was, it just seemed like he'd be caught in the middle at times. He was unsure of himself. Um, and that's when he would get beat. And he gave up, just looking at it, he gave up two of those eight hits on Cousins, which you just don't see from him. No, you don't. And that's, again, something that has derailed Vikings seasons of past. This would be a little bit different probably with injuries more than just ineffectiveness but cousins when he is pressured and when he doesn't feel comfortable it shows pretty early in a game and he kind of had those kind of had those feet going uh in sunday's game where you're just like kirk does not look comfortable i know he stood in there and took some of those hits anyway but he did not look comfortable at all in that game and there was so much too that was off sync with this offense, it, it, whether it was the snap not coming, right? Because you yeah. had two false start penalties because the ball's not getting snapped. There's two option routes where it was just, um, they weren't on the same page. He, he threw the ball one way, Jefferson went the other. On another one, Thielen didn't keep going and he stopped and Cousins threw it. So he wasn't on page with his receivers that he normally is. The center alignment and snap wasn't always on target. The pressure coming right up the middle. So, yeah, you're right. I think Kirk wanted to get the ball out as fast as he could because there's been so many games this year he's taken 10-plus hits. And while he only took eight in that game, uh, he is now third in the NFL in sacks taken behind Justin Fields and Russell Wilson. And it's a career-high 46 sacks for Kirk Cousins. Uh, For all that they've done on offense, they have not mitigated that part of it very well. No, and after three interceptions, he is now tied for the league lead in interceptions with 14, I noticed, the other day as well. Um, Andrew, final thing for you. I mean, given given everything that was at stake in this game and then to come out like this, I mean, they had a chance to stay in the conversation for the number one seed because of what, what happened with the Philadelphia Saints game. Could have stayed firmly in position to be the number two at least, um, even though San Francisco did pull that game out. All they'd need then is a win over the Bears if that happens. And 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 essentially Green Bay's season if they're able to to win that game. Given all that, how they came out, how lopsided this game was, how do you think they should treat Week 18? Do you think they need to get themselves back on track to a certain degree and and play a lot of these guys and really push to see if they can still get the two seed? Do they need a mental and physical reset? How would you, if you were them, approach this Bears game? 
Oh, if I were them, I would bench Justin Jefferson to ensure that he's healthy because that's not the confidence that you need to restore here. What you need to do is you need to get that offensive line moving forward. You need to get the run game established, quote unquote. Um, you need to get some life into that part of the, the offense because when the passing game is not clicking, they have no counter. There is no running game right now that they can lean on. And the Bears just gave up 260 yards to the Lions on the ground alone. The Bears have given up more rushing yardage than most teams. They are just horrific on defense. They traded away every piece. Um, every other piece is on injured reserve. So this is exactly the confidence booster this offensive line needs, even if Brian O'Neill is not out there. And I think that is where you need to kind of rebuild the confidence of this offense. And then once you get into the playoffs, then do the stuff you do with Justin Jefferson off of that running game if you can keep that going. Um, I was shocked, though, that they didn't pull Kirk Cousins earlier in that game. Yeah, um, they did leave some starters in there. And, and I understand they came back from 33 nothing. But in the fourth quarter, I'm wondering why is why is Jefferson still in the game? Yeah, I agree with that. I'll be curious, I'll be curious to see what approach they take to this game because frankly to me, I mean, being the 3 seed is not ideal because then if you do win your first game, you're more than likely going to be on the road unless the 2 seed gets upset in the first round. Um but it's not ideal to me because um you're still talking about um you know, some other things, but matchup-wise, you know, the Giants would probably would be your opponent if you're the 3 seed. That's not a that's not a great matchup, but that's a team you've you handled, you can you know you can play with. You 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 defeated them, albeit in a close game recently. Um, that is a little bit more appealing to me than trying to play Green Bay again or maybe the Lions. I mean, the Seahawks still have a chance too, but you know, any one of Green Bay or Detroit uh scares me more than the Giants right now at this point. So I'm not uh I'm not saying uh all in for the two seed is where I would be right now. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and I think too. The big thing about the matchup is in the first round is that if you get Daniel Jones, uh, if you get even Geno Smith, I mean, these are quarterbacks that you can fool, trick, get after in ways that if you're facing Kyle Shanahan's offense or you're facing Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, uh, even Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, you're just not going to be able to do that. This defense is very below average, if not bad. And we saw more of that on Sunday. So I like Kevin O'Connell's chances of outscoring Daniel Jones for sure in week one um, than trying to chase the two and get matched up against, yeah, uh, possibly the Packers, the Lions. Uh, those are offenses that I, I just don't like their chances against. Yep, I agree with that. Well, we'll see where uh, where next week leads them and beyond. Good stuff as always, Andrew. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew, as always. Again, if you're a Vikings fan, you probably just wanted to burn the film of that game, never watch it again. But some things they can learn. They can always learn from these things. Um, you know, there's plenty of learning opportunities from a lot of these weird games they've been playing lately. A lot of these, you know, huge deficits. When they get down, it kind of snowballs on them, and they haven't been able to find a way to get back into these games that they've lost. The weirdest 12 and 4 season so far that I can remember. I mean, remember the Brett Favre team of 2009, that was a 12 and 4 finish. They've got one more game left this year because of the 17 game schedule, but doesn't that team feel a lot different than this one? It sure does to me. And yet here they are with the same record and some of the same opportunities heading into the playoffs soon. Another award winning, my least favorite team is my favorite team segment. And my goodness, Keith Rashad, Vikings have really been pushing all those buttons this year. Have they not? The least favorite, the favorite, no middle ground with this team. They either win in dramatic fashion or they get absolutely stomped. And uh, Sunday was one of those stompings. They were down 41-3 to 3 
at one point to the Packers hey, just final shut score. Up. Just shut up because um, now you're stepping all over my first haiku. Well, I don't want to step on your haikus. Let's get to the Vikus, number one, please, sir. Okay. Only two outcomes are possible for this team. I hate the Packers. <laughs> so I did not know that. We, this is good. This is just good evidence that we don't. I don't see the the Vikus before we uh, we go live. It's just, it's a pleasant surprise for oh, me. As if the listeners need evidence that we don't plan this out beforehand. It's <laughs> no, like, it's not did a, you know that we don't talk about this a lot before we do but, it? But I like that it's that I'm reacting in real time. That I have not premeditated my reaction to what your Vikus are. But this was definitely clear evidence because you're right. I was stepping all over Vaiku one, but. We were both on, we were we we're on the same we're robbing the same train basically in that yes there are only two outcomes with this team and it's it's frustrating and yes you hate the Packers as well yeah and the rest of the season you can see being laid out just you can see what the end result's going to be here right I think they're so. going to squeak by Chicago or maybe not maybe they'll get killed because they're not going to play anybody and then in the playoffs. They will barely beat some marginal team like Washington or the Giants. No, can't be Washington. They've been eliminated, but yes. Okay, whoever, whatever. The Giants whatever. are the Giants are very likely. Yeah. About the third quarter of yesterday, I quit thinking about football yes. up until this very point right now. <laughs> Perfect. Okay? So, so I don't know who's in or out. But right, they're gonna barely squeak by whoever they play at home in the first round. And then they're gonna go out to San Francisco and get just destroyed. Yeah. That seems it's about be, right. It's gonna be fifty-six to to sixteen. Fifty-six, sixteen. That's a lot of scoring. But yeah, it, it does seem like it kind of seems like that's been their destiny for a while now. That the only that the only way I could even imagine any kind of um kind of any kind of playoff run would require the same sort of outrageous fortune that they've enjoyed in the regular season whereby like the number one and the number two seeds get wiped out. They get to play somebody else at home in the division round. That's not very good. And then, then the rest of the good teams get wiped out too. Basically the only way I can imagine them going through this field is if they don't have to play Dallas, San Francisco or Philadelphia. And that does not seem likely to me. (laughs) No, no, it does not. It, uh, and you know, again, a a loss like, Yesterday is just it's disappointing. It was not fun to watch, and there'll be more haiku about it. But it is worth remembering that this was absolutely unexpected to begin with, right? If you had told me that this team had amassed 12 wins, like if we had been talking yeah, way back in August, you say, Hey, you know, the Vikings are gonna get uh 12 wins, I would have said, How many seasons would they have spent <laughs> together to right. make that happen? Right. right? And so, you know, it was disappointing. It, a lot of it was, was self-inflicted and there were just bad mistakes. It was also the result of a team that did not want it nearly as much as the other team oh, did. That's very true. And so, it, I mean, it's uh, uh, that being said, let me. Uh, yeah, Vaikun 2, please. Entertain you with Vaikun 2. <clears throat> Eruditeness does not prevent this team from making me stupid <laughs> yeah yeah they they have a habit of just making you feel dumb don't they well 
yesterday was one of those days, right? And you know, not everybody's listening, but I'm a single dad, so I got all the household responsibilities, all right. that kind of stuff, right? Yesterday is one of those days where it was six loads of laundry, yeah. you know, two loads of dishes, trying to clean up the mess from all the holidays and all that kind of stuff. And so right. there was just constant housework and other work, all the while, while a six-year-old is is jabbering away at me and wondering mm-hmm. why I can't spend more time playing with him and you know, right. doing all the fun stuff. All the while, I'm wondering why I can't spend more time <laughs> in, you know, uh, right. doing all the fun stuff. And so I had a very limited amount of time and I did all this work that I could before the game because I said, if I'm going to enjoy one thing today, it's going to be sitting down and watching and trying to enjoy this game. Uh-huh. And so then I sat down and started watching that game and it looked beautiful for a minute there with that block. The block punt, yeah. Ball at the one. And, it would, and you would think they would have gotten more than three out of that, uh, but then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And then things started getting bad, right? And then there was... Yeah. And, we had the kickoff return. We had the yep. reception. Yep. We had the that goofball doing the gritty over Justin Jefferson, mm-hmm. which should have been pass interference, but whatever. And and the whole while I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, okay. At one point there was what the Packers had 14 points and 14 yards of offense. Right, because they were yeah their points were on a right the kickoff return and the pick six. Right. So sitting there and watching this game it's like okay right i i should just turn this off and then go do something reasonable and it just kept getting worse kept getting worse kept watching it i said okay fine get to halftime and i say all right i'm gonna make some popcorn we had an early dinner in the house here it's okay. popcorn sit down with my son we'll watch a little bit more of this so i made the popcorn we sat down vikings are driving what's beautiful and uh all of a sudden we had the the uh fumble yeah as the vikings were driving Right, and that's when that's when I finally said, "This is enough." It was your breaking right? point? Yeah, and they said, "How is it that I spent on this day when I had very limited time to do anything enjoyable? That I spent two hours watching this game, this miserable team?" Right, I have more college degrees, yes. right? I've amassed more education than more people, most people. Right, I am the most credentialed person in pretty much every room I rock in. But this stupid team continues to make me dumb. It does. I keep watching them and watching this and hoping for something better when it was obvious that this is just what it was going to be early on in that stupid game. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't like it was inevitable what was going to happen. But when they didn't get a touchdown on a drive that started from the one, I got pretty pessimistic at that point. And I was like, you know what? This team doesn't look like they if that there's a certain like killer instinct that goes into being able to get that one yard and just be like, okay, the the special team set us up in this amazing spot. We're gonna punch this thing in and gonna start rolling from here. When they didn't get that, and then all of a sudden, of course, the kickoff return right after that. Um, you know, that's another that's another story. But it just didn't feel like at any point, you're right, that they had the whatever it is that that made it made it seem like they wanted it more and that that was the disappointing part because you could have imagined that scenario if there was nothing to play for but by the time they kicked off there was a lot to play for they still had the number one seed still hanging out there because the eagles had lost already in that game they still had the chance to be the number two seed if they won out they could eliminate green bay they had a lot of of little carrots dangling in front of them and they still did not uh, did not get anywhere near that game well, uh, no, it was just, 
we've seen it happen a million times. Maybe this new leadership will end up changing things over the course of time, but they they did not have the same level of desire and could not are not a good enough team to just sort of make it happen when when they're maybe not as as what's sort of looking for as enthusiastic as the team on the other side of the ball or as desperate as the right. team on the other side of the ball. It's, it's just like at a certain point, why? Why watch this? Right. Uh-huh. In the same way as like why watch that Sean Mannion game that they played against the Packers? <laughs> why 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 bother with, with this ridiculous mess? I know why you bother. So you can give us your third and final Vaiku. Yeah. And, and I just want to say, we mentioned pre-production, our our, our 15-second pre-production meeting. Yep. Uh, normally there's four Vaiku. Normally there's four. Yep. This game only deserved three. Yes. So here's the third. The spirit willing, but the flesh not so great. The offensive line. Yeah. Um you know, I don't know how many seasons you've seen ruined by subpar offensive line play. I can count quite a few in my time. Um, 2016, where a 5-0 and start gave way to a putrid finish. Um, the 2017 NFC title game. A lot of, a lot of seasons uh, were, were damaged beyond repair by a bad offensive line. I don't know if we're there yet this season. A lot of it's going to depend on who's healthy once they get to the playoffs, but... Uh, that wasn't good. Wasn't good, was it? Well, the part of the reason why I particularly like this Vaiku is because it's layered, right? Mm-hmm. It has many subtle meanings that you can okay. tease out in many different ways. And one yeah. is obviously just the the poor play by the line itself, but the other part of it, another part of it that you can contemplate and think about and ruminate upon as you think through these Vaikus in, in your life as they speak to you in many different and varied ways as you think about when you get down to your third string center right? mm-hmm. when you get down to uh the the guy who's replaced the guy who none of us liked at the beginning of the year <laughs> right. to begin with where right? have you gone garrett bradbury <laughs> exactly and then you lose uh your one of one of the your right end who's who's yeah, pretty right tackle yeah or excuse me tackle and 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 yeah, man, that is not a recipe for success. And and no. this team has been trying to, well, kind of, sort of trying, maybe sort of in the second half of Rick Spielman's tenure, maybe not so much in the first half, right. trying to build this offensive yeah. line with something. They've invested a lot of draft capital in the offensive line. And when they and when they when they are able to coalesce and play well, they have been this year. They've been decent. Yes. Not not dominant, but they've been decent and they've been good enough to help this team help the the skill position players do what they need to do. Uh that was not happening on Sunday. No. No, it was not. And Kirk Cousins had happy feet. Andrew Andrew Kramer and I talked about that a little bit. And when he's not comfortable, everything falls apart. And he was not comfortable in that game. And they threw Justin Jefferson off his game. And so it's just I don't know. It when you fall behind by more than 33 points for the third time in seven weeks, you start to get a little bit concerned. You know what I mean? That <laughs> There are those who would see that as, as a troubling warning sign for perhaps things to come, yes. Yes. Well, we'll see what is yet to come and uh, how much of it you are able to watch.
Speaking of the offensive line, let's finish with the cooler. Not great news on that front. Kevin O'Connell calling Brian O'Neill's injury significant. That's a calf injury for Brian O'Neill. We'll see where he's at. He's already been ruled out of the, the final game against the Bears. We'll see how, if he's able to play in the playoffs, but that would be a pretty huge loss. Uh, Ole Udo expected to start against the Bears. He's their fourth tackle because, remember, Blake Brandle, who had been kind of that swing tackle, was lost for the season against Detroit a couple weeks ago to an MCL sprain. So they are very uh, banged up. You know, They're down to their third-string center right now. We'll see if they get Garrett Bradbury back at some point. But that is a storyline that you need to pay attention to going into the postseason. Do they have Brian O'Neill? Do they have Garrett Bradbury? How is that offensive line playing? Because offensive line play... It doesn't show up really until you need it the most, until you don't have it. And the, it has derailed games for the Vikings this year. It has derailed seasons for them. And that could be the thing that ultimately decides how far they go in the postseason. That'll do it for today. Chris Hine joins me on Wednesday show. More Timberwolves talk it in depth on everything that's been going wrong and some of the things that went right in Monday's game. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.